Welcome to the fourth part in the Bold series. And as the question keeps posing at the end of the video that we see there every week, what we're talking about is evangelism. And we're talking about the great commission that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the early church when he commanded them to preach the gospel to all nations. And we here at STSA, we believe that that is not just a core value for those guys back then, but that commission was given to us just as much as them. So we're trying to figure out how that applies practically. What does it mean to be an evangelist and what does it mean to be a witness? And like the question posed there just said, is that maybe it doesn't mean what we think it means. And maybe it doesn't mean necessarily that we have to preach in the way that we typically think of preaching or evangelizing. And that the verse that's been running with us all throughout this series is 1 Corinthians 9.22, which is that we would become all things to all men that we might by all means save some. That's our goal. There's not one person in this room that can reach every single person in Arlington. But together, a collection of us, we can reach every single person in Arlington. I believe that wholeheartedly, that the church as a whole, as an entity, is able to reach every single person, all the ends of the earth, but there's no one individual. So each one of us is trying to figure out how we can be all things to all men, what capacity, what role, what, what form our evangelism, our witnesses to look like in order that we can reach as many people as possible. Last week, we talked very practically about the three Ds of being an evangelist today. Talk about living in 3D. Y'all remember what the three Ds are? Who remembers? First one is that we need to... <coughs> we need to develop friendships. Okay, very good. All right, very good. Very lonely feeling when you call for them. That's okay. Develop friendships. I know you just needed a reminder. Develop friendships. That we're not just supposed to live isolated in a little church, little bubble... But we, as Jesus was, Jesus was out there, and he was meeting people, and he hung out in, in wells, and he hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He was out there, and he wasn't out there telling them they're all going uh, to condemnation. He was out there developing friendships, just meeting people, building relationships. Develop friendships, number one. After we develop friendships, while we're doing that, we want to do the second D, which is discover stories. Very good. Is that we're not there just talking, we're listening. And every person's got a story, and our part is to discover what's, what's that person's story. And if someone's coming from uh, this kind of hurt or this kind of brokenness or this kind of whatever, everyone's got a story. And your job is to listen to people's story because until you know people, then you can't really address them. And third step, after we develop the friendship, we discover the story. Then we want to discern the next steps. But I told you next steps is misleading. We don't want to discern next steps. We want to discern next step. Because all we want to do is we don't, this isn't going to be a conversation which we're going to tell them everything they need to know in order to become like the purest person in the world. We just want to help give them the next step. So this person talks about how they don't believe in that God still loves them. So we want to give them the next step, maybe a book, maybe a sermon, maybe an encouraging word, maybe a verse, maybe a whatever, to help them see that, no, God does love them. And that they need lots of other things along the path, but we just want to help them with that next step, whatever that step might be. Now, today, what we're going to talk about is the next step after we have developed and we've listened and we tried to help. Today, what we're going to talk about is the power of story. And there's going to come a point in time if you are doing those three Ds, if you are developing friendships and you're discovering people's stories and you're helping them discern the next steps, you're spending time with these people, okay? You're meeting new people and let's assume, let's assume it's like your neighbor, your coworker, whatever it is. Okay, and they're not that into church, and they're not that into God, but they kind of sort of believe. They go to church here and there, 
but they're not really like ready to go to the level that you go to. And they like they pray kind of when they need something or when the cop pulls them over. Like one of like, you know, just kind of just kind of doing it when when need be. There's gonna come a point in time as you develop that friendship with that person, they're gonna ask you a question. If you continue to work on that relationship, they're gonna stop you at one point in time. Remember, our job is to be a lighthouse, filled with light, open the window, let that light shine. They're gonna ask you a question. They're gonna ask you, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? I go to church on Christmas and Easter. You go every Sunday. Why? I pray only when there's a disaster. But you somehow, you pray a lot. Why do you do that? What would you answer? What would you answer? Do you know what you'd answer? Someone comes to you who doesn't go to church that much. Says, you go to church every Sunday. Why do you do it? Do you have an answer? Is it a clear answer? Is it a concise answer? How you answer that question, that could be one of those defining moments in that person's life. You give the wrong answer. I'd say the wrong answer, but you give an incoherent answer or a pushing. Remember how last week I told you all the story about that kid who sat with me and, and told me that news and he wanted to see my reaction? My reaction, that moment. Okay, I have many relationships, many interactions with him since then to now. I can, okay, but that reaction, that instant reaction, that was, that was the key. And how I responded then laid the fountain. Now I can mess up because we've already built this. But how you answer that makes a big difference. I remember when I was working before I became a priest, I had that same situation. That my coworkers, okay, we got to know each other because we were in this room. There was like eight of us in this room. All right, so we got to know each other, and we'd laugh, and y'all know me, I like to have a good time, I'm not that into work, so I like to laugh and joke, and you know what I mean, like, like I am an easygoing kind of a guy, all right, and they knew that I'm fun-loving, easygoing, they also knew that, like, you know, everyone who knows me knows that when there was, like, free food available, that like, I, was, I was all over that stuff, you know what I mean, so I'll get there early on, on Tuesday, because you knew the Monday night staff meeting always had the leftover in the fridge, so they know me on stuff like that. One time someone asked me, they say, hey, you never hang out with us when we go out to happy hour. Why? Why? Or they say, you always, they knew I used to go to church and very involved in church, and they knew sometimes I would even sneak out of work early to do church stuff. Why is church so important to you? Someone asked me that. Why is church so important to you? I'll be honest, I didn't know how to answer. How would you answer? Why is church important to you? Why do you eat the free food on Monday, Tuesday, but on Wednesday you don't eat it? Why you love to laugh and joke and have a good time and you look for any reason to skip work, but we say we're skipping work to go to happy hour and you don't want to come with us. Living the life of a witness or an evangelist, living a bold life. We always talk about planting seeds, planting seeds, planting seeds. Well, you know what happens if you plant enough seeds? There's going to be a harvest. And there's going to come a point in time where we always talk about like our job is just to plant a seed. And that's true. But at some point in time, there needs to be a harvest. And if you keep on planting, 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 because we always want to say it may not be my role to harvest. And I agree. It may just be your role to plant. But it may be your role to harvest. And it may be at a point in time where that, that, that flower is ready to come up, and now it's your turn to harvest that fruit. This verse from John chapter 4, verse 35 to 38. Jesus speaks to his disciples in the context of his discussion with the Samaritan woman. But he's speaking to them. He says, lift up is after he had worked with Samaritan woman and helped her to see the light. He says to the disciples, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields, man, for they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. What Jesus is saying right here, sometimes you're just going to sow, you're going to see no fruit. You're just going to sow, sow, sow. But sometimes you need to reap. And sometimes other people have been sowing, and then someone's going to come and ask you, or you've been sowing, and someone wants to come ask you, why is this important to you? How are you going to respond? Let me tell you how not to respond. Don't just start firing off Bible verses. Don't start telling weird stories, okay, mystical experiences that you had. Don't start say, well, Father Anthony said this in church one time, and I read this in a book one time. And don't just start gathering random snippets of information that don't make any sense to anybody except you. What you need to do, in essence, just tell a story. But tell your story. Someone asks you, just tell a story because there's no more effective tool for evangelism. And I don't want to say for evangelism. I'm saying whatever you're doing in life, if you want to convince somebody of something, telling a story will always be your most effective tool. You don't believe me? Watch this video. and Joanna Lundstrom is 12 years old. It's the first day of sixth grade gym class and she's standing in line waiting in the gymnasium to be weighed. In the front of the line, Miss March, her gym instructor, calls out the names of each of the girls. Joanna wonders if Miss March's voice will be as loud and clear as her fingers are slow as she calls out her weight. And her heart sinks with the certainty that it will. Does anybody remember the gym teacher's name? And what was Joanna so worried about? Do people remember what she was worried about? Does anybody remember what Joanna weighed in the third grade? And where was it taking place? agree or disagree nothing's more powerful than a story i'm telling you i'm telling you i meet people and they say hey father anthony i heard your sermons i say hey that's great they say ah oh, you gave the best sermon I say hey what do you remember from it you told this story about how you proposed to your wife at mcdonald's <laughs> that's what people remember 
People don't remember what I said. They can't tell you one verse I said. They can't tell you what, what the sermon was about. They remember you posed at McDonald's. You rode on a demon-possessed horse. You threw up in a helicopter, okay? People remember, and stories are what stick in people's minds. No wonder the greatest storyteller, storyteller who ever lived was our Lord Jesus Christ. Wasn't he? What did Jesus do? Hey, come sit around here. Come sit around here. Let me tell you a story. Once there was a man who had a job to do, so he went and hired people for the day. Once there was a father who had a son who was getting married, and he was throwing a great feast for him. Once there was a lady who was baking some bread. Once there was a man who went out to sow some seed. This is how Jesus communicated the deepest and most profound truths of spirituality through stories. And he told the stories so good that we still think some of them are true. You know how many people think the story of the prodigal son? You know it's not a true story. Jesus never said that, that, that it, was telling, it was never a story of a father and a son. Jesus said, let me tell you a parable. Let me tell you a story about a father with two sons. But we have made it so real, it's so vivid in our mind, we can see it in front of us that we think it's real. But it's not real. But this is the way Jesus used to communicate deep truths. There's something about a story that clicks. If I tell you that no matter how lost you are, you can be found. But if I tell you a story about this son who was just so bad to his dad, then the father forgave him. That sticks. If I tell you a story about how, hey, believe in miracles and they can happen. But if I tell you a story about if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, jump and it'll jump. Stories are powerful. And if you want to think about it a different way, think about it if you want to like convince me, like let's say you are like, a, um, you know, you're trying to convince me to join whatever program or whatever like whatever you're trying to convince me of tell me the benefits okay tell me a story about somebody who joined and found success and then you're always going to find much more success that way but as powerful as stories can be as negative as they can be if they are bad stories good stories great bad stories bad and I want to talk about, before we talk about how our stories should look like, how we should answer people's questions with good stories, I want to tell you how not to answer people's questions. And I'm telling you, everything that I say right now, I'm going to give you a couple examples. They're all based on true stories. Okay, and I'm changing some of the details around to protect the names of the innocent. Okay? I am, a, I don't want to say appalled because it makes it sound bad. I'm shocked okay, at sometimes some of the things that people tell me, my coworker asked me about church, or my neighbor asked me about God, I'm appalled by some of the things that people say. Again, everything I'm saying is true based on a true story, okay? One said, I was in Egypt. <laughs> I was in Egypt, in the desert, in the monastery. And I saw a picture of St. Mary, mother of God, the mother of God. She appeared to me. She told me, you need to go to church. You have to go to church. Okay, that's a little freaky. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, I'm listening, I'm thinking, wait a minute, is Jesus' mom going to talk to my mom and I'm going to get in trouble from all this? Like she's going to tell on me and get me in trouble that I didn't go to church? Another person. Someone was asking them about why they go to church so much. Their answer was, because if I don't go to church, I don't want to be bad like all the bad people who don't go to church. That was the response. I don't want to be like the bad people who don't go to church. Not a, that's not the best answer. I was reading this book by Bill Hybels, who wrote, and he was talking about, again, similar, 
about ways not to spread the gospel, or ways not to witness. And he was saying one time, Bill Hybels is a pastor, like a big church up in Chicago. So you would think that most people, he was in Chicago airport, you would think that most people in that area would realize who he is, but I mean, whatever. Some guy didn't realize who he is, and some guy decided, I'm going to save this poor guy's soul. All right, and he's going to preach to him, and they had like their flight delayed, so this guy just took opportunity, and he's just going to preach to him. And he said, again, I'm paraphrasing the story, as the guy came to him, and he's trying to preach to him, and, and Bill Hybels was saying like he was kind of like working, away. He, was just, he wasn't really into it. And then the guy says, let me tell you something God did in my life. He says, one night, God woke me up. Something woke me up. And I looked at the clock, and it was 2.22. And I didn't know what it meant. And then the next day, I went to sleep. Something woke me up again. And I looked at the clock, and it was 3.33. And then the next day, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I looked at the clock, and Bill Heibel shouts out, 4.44. And he's like, how did you know? <laughs> No wonder people think we're crazy. No wonder people think we are crazy. Look, I'm all for your crazy God story. Everyone has a crazy God story. God does crazy things in all of our lives. I'm all for it. You got a crazy story, I got a crazy story. Don't share it on the first interaction. Like there's some things, like single people, you don't share on the first date, okay? You have your weird quirks, that's fine. Keep it till a little bit later. There's no reason to start with the mother of God who appeared to you and scared the daylights out of you, okay? On the first time. That's why people think we're weird. Four things not to have in your crazy story. Long-windedness. Long-windedness. Keep it brief. Keep it short. Keep it concise. Stay on the point. Because remember, part of the 3D living is discovering about the person and listening to the person. And you want to end up asking more than speaking more. You talking Sounds good to your ears, but nobody else's ears. Keep it short. And again, remember, this is not the last conversation you're going to have with them. This is the first. So you want to share your story, and I'll talk about what I mean by share your story, but you want to be brief. Second thing, avoid fuzziness. Avoid fuzziness. Because the only thing worse than long, the only thing worse than long is long and incoherent. Would you agree? Like, I may give a long sermon. I may give an incoherent sermon. The worst case scenario is when they are both. They are both long and incoherent. Some people, like I said, in a zeal and effort to just like, like just dump all their spirituality on this poor soul in front of them. They start, like I'm saying, they connect I heard this sermon when I was in third grade, and then I read this book here, and then this email that I got, and all these random facts that nobody understands, visions and saints who appeared, and dead relatives who spoke to me in the middle of the night, and all these kinds of stuff, and it makes no sense to anybody in the whole world. Simple principle for everything in life, but especially when preaching, is the KISS principle. Y'all know what KISS stands for? Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Always remember that. Third. Please, avoid Christianese. Y'all know what Christianese is? Christianese is, is when you, I'll give you the definition from dictionary.com of what Christianese is. A communicable language within Christian subculture with words and phrases created slash redefined that applies only to the Christian sphere of influence. Stuff that makes sense to us, but to nobody else. 
and it may, it's these phrases and, and jargon that we use that doesn't make sense to anybody else. Let me give you a list of things not to say to somebody who's new to God and new to Christianity and new to the church. Don't tell them about your old man versus your new man. Don't talk to them about crucifying your flesh because nobody doesn't go to church wants to crucify anything. Don't talk about dying to yourself because nobody wants to die. Please don't ever tell them that you felt a burden on your heart to speak to them. Don't tell them that the Spirit of God led me to speak to you. And don't ever tell them that you kissed dating goodbye. <laughs> we kiss that lingo goodbye. Because the goal is to be understood and to keep it simple, stupid. Number four, worst of all, worst of all, you want to be a repellent, like you want God and all his goodness, and you want people to hate God and despise God and resist God, be holier than thou, because nothing will push people away further than that. Holier than thou is when I think that I am a great, great man because I'm reaching out to poor, pathetic you. And you are lucky to have me in your presence because I'm inviting you to the kingdom of God as opposed to burning in hell where you belong. We don't need that kind of attitude because that attitude. And this attitude has nothing to do with the words you say. You may say all the right words, but this is your attitude. And it's when you feel like you're doing a great thing, reaching out to poor, pathetic, what's his name in the street. Avoid, long-winded, fuzzy, Christianese, holier than thou. So what should I do? Simple. Keep it simple. The best strategy for sharing a story about anything is follow the before and after model. What's the before and after model? It's simple. You show people what was before, you show people after, and you let God and his spirit do the rest. 2 Corinthians 5.17 what we have in Christ, what we have, the reason that we are here, and what we are quote-unquote selling, I don't mean it that way, but what, what we have is we have this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the promise of the gospel. That's why we had an Old Testament, and then we have a New Testament. We had an Old Covenant, and then Jesus came to make the covenant new, to make all things new. As he said in the very end of Revelation, behold, I make all things new. This is what Jesus came to do. Change old stuff to new stuff. Let me start simple, and then I'll go into spiritual matters. Like I said a minute ago, I have, I did this great diet program. All right, and I said, I did this, the best diet program in the whole wide world, and I want you to do it. Okay, all the theory you talked to me doesn't make any sense. Tell me one thing. What did you look like before? What did you look like after? That's all I care about. If I see what you look like before and see what you look like after, I'll be convinced. You're trying to sell me on some, um, um, like a, a, um, a counselor who helped you in your marriage. Okay, tell me what your marriage was like before. Tell me what your marriage is like after. And if I like, then I'm in. Same true with your walk with God. All we need to do to be witnesses and to share a story is tell people simply, this is what my life looked like before, and this is what it looked like after. You don't need to be dramatic. Before doesn't need to be that I was some uh, hippie punk smoking all the drugs in the whole wide world, and then the light came. It doesn't need to be like that. Actually, I think it's better when it's not like that, because the vast majority of people's experience isn't like that. 
Most people aren't living that dramatic lifestyle. So it doesn't need to be dramatic. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be real. It needs to be concise. You say simply, this is my life before and this is my life after. Imagine, we'll go through some examples. The man who was born blind. John chapter 9, famous story. Man born blind, sitting on the side of the road, got no eyes, begging for money. Jesus walks up to this guy one day, takes some piece of mud, spits on the mud, smashes it into the guy's face, says, go wash in the pool. And the guy came back, and he could see. Now, this born blind man, he loves Jesus so much. He loves Jesus so much. And you ask him, hey, why do you love Jesus so much? What do you think he's going to say? Think he's going to talk theology? Think he's going to say, well, the history of the church, okay. Think he's going to tell me about his vision where the Virgin Mary appeared and scared the daylights out of him? He's going to say very simple what he said in John 9, John 9, 25. He said, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. He's like, I don't know theology. Don't ask me theology. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. Before and after, what's more powerful? Theology, history, doctrine. I was blind, now I see. Mary Magdalene, disciple of Christ, was living a life demon-possessed, okay, living very friendly with the men, all kinds of bad stuff. And then all of a sudden, she became a disciple of Christ. Christ cast the demon out of her and gave her hope, gave her life. What's more powerful? That I was in the pit of despair, of hopeless, of darkness, demon-possessed. I was, I was, I was, I was. And then he gave me life. Or to say, at 2.22, he woke me up. And then 3.33, he woke me up. That's the power of stories. Telling the story isn't the hard part. The hard part is creating the story or writing the story or preparing the story. But once you have your story prepared, and I'm going to encourage everybody, I'm going to encourage you, if you're serious about being a witness and you want to be ready to read, you've got to prepare your story. And I'm going to encourage you, put it in writing. Okay, when we, we used to go to these mission trips to Africa, okay, and we used to go preach, I'm all for the spirit guides us and spirit leads us. But I made every single person before we go, write it down. Prepare a sample preaching, write it down, what you're going to say. Yeah, the Spirit will guide us and lead us, but I feel like He guides and leads much more when we are prepared. And we're going to prepare, and I feel the same way with us. Your coworkers one day are going to ask you. You don't want to, uh, uh, and then start, like I said, firing off the Bible verses or saying nonsense. Prepare your story. Recently, not recently, I guess it was uh, a couple months ago, when we had the Momentum Conference. Okay, we did the conference up in, uh, uh, in New York. Okay, we invited people from all over. And as part of the, that conference, one of the things that I did was I shared my story, so to speak. But I phrased it in kind of a different way. A lot of people ask me, you know, like, why did you decide to become a priest? Or, like, why do you do what you do? And how come you were young and you wanted to be a priest when you were young? Like, people ask me those kind of questions. So what I decided to do, and I presented it, you know, over there, is I, I shared my story. And I, and I guarantee you, I said a lot of stuff at that conference that people forgot. But I bet you most people didn't forget what I shared. Because what I shared is very simple, that how for the majority of my life, okay, when I was growing up, I was a good kid. I'm never a bad kid. Like, I'm a good guy. But I mean, God was good, but I didn't see the value of God in my life. Like, God was good, but he didn't provide me much value. I felt like he was okay, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm okay on my own. And then eventually, God convinced me, okay, he showed me, that all the stuff without him versus the stuff with him, with him, all the stuff without him, and then the stuff with him. You can't compare 1% of this 
was more satisfying than 100% of this. That a life lived with God, according to God's plan, that whatever God says is going to be more satisfying and more significant to me than anything else in the whole wide world. And that was it, as that God convinced me of the significance of a life with him. So I decided that whatever he said was going to go. That's it. Not that complicated. Not that difficult. I didn't have a dramatic, I didn't have a weird vision or 222, anything like that. I was living, and I thought that God was, eh. And then God convinced me, and ever since I started, every time I follow God and I trust in God, it gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better. So therefore, I decided that whatever God says to me, I'm never going to say no. That's why when people ask me, how'd you become a priest? Why'd you say yes? I say, you know what? I said yes long before, long before I became a priest. Long before. I already decided that whatever God says, I'm not going to say no, because he showed me that it's more fulfilling and more satisfying than anything else. That, to me, that's the main concept. What's your main concept? It doesn't have to be the same as mine. What's your single idea that you want to convey to people who are far from God? It could be that I was living. I'll just throw out random examples. I was living. My life was characterized by fear. I was always afraid, always worried. And then I found him, and I learned I could trust, and I could let go. And, and the freedom that provided me, night and day. Or you may say, before, I cared a lot about what people thought of me. I was really, like, captive to that. I always wanted to please people and impress people, but then that just frustrated me because I could never please everybody. And then I found that I don't need to please everybody, that I always have his approval because of who I am, his child. And then I live now in light of that approval, and that's why I can soar with the eagles as opposed to walk with the turkeys. What's your before and after? What's your before and after? What difference, if it's the church, what difference does the church make in your life? If it's a relationship with Christ, what difference does that relationship with Christ make in your life? If it doesn't make any difference, then something ain't right. But you're not ready unless you can concisely and clearly say what the difference is. Like I said, I want to encourage you to write it. Put it in writing. Doesn't need to be long. I'm talking about like two paragraphs. That's what I'm talking about. Two paragraphs. That's all it is. Three paragraphs max. Something clear, something concise. And I'll help you with it. If you, like, if you're serious, put it in writing, send it to me, and I'll give you my tips, okay, or, or my, my constructive criticism, okay, on it. I'd be happy to do that. My wife tells me I'm very good at constructive criticism. <laughs> okay, it's one of my spiritual gifts, yeah, ability to process improvement is what I call it, okay? It's one of my spiritual gifts. Bottom line is this. Something this important, you don't always get a second chance. You don't always have that open door, and that door cracks open for a little bit, and that person is ready to hear, but that door may, may close just as quickly as it opens, so you got to be ready to present your story. Let's get some tips from the master storyteller himself. We're going to look at an example. Example, I know, I feel like I always talk about this same example, but I just feel like it is the perfect example from John chapter 4, the story of this Samaritan woman, when I feel like it's the perfect picture for us in the church, because remember, that's why we call this the well, because that's where Jesus, normal place, an ordinary place where something extraordinary happened because Jesus met the lady there. So I feel like in this story, you can see how Jesus went, he established the relationship, and then he went, okay, for the win, okay, with the, I don't want to say he shared his story as much as he shared the story of the gospel. Story of John chapter 4. Summary. Jesus is outside. 
him and his disciples, they're walking on a hot, hot, hot summer day, journeying through the middle of the desert, okay, the hottest time of day and the hottest part of the place, time when no one should be out and about. They're walking. He sends his disciples off on some kind of errand to run. So he's by himself. He decides to go stop by this well. Why? Because he's tired. Get himself a drink, relax for a little bit under the, the hot sun of the day. But he also knew, because he was God, what was going to happen here when he went to this well. He gets to that well, and he sees a lady coming. Lady coming is the Samaritan woman. A lady who was a woman, obviously, okay? A woman, a Samaritan, a sinner. A woman, a Samaritan, a sinner. Jesus was a man. Men don't talk to women, okay? Men look down on women at the time, not now, okay? Men look down on women. He was a Jew. Jews definitely looked down on Samaritans. He was the son of God, holy and righteous. Righteous definitely looked down on sinners. By all means, man, Jew, holy, should never speak to woman, Samaritan, sinner. First thing Jesus teaches us right here, you're going to be bold. You're going to go share your story. Don't be afraid of different. Jesus shunned all the customs of the time. said, I don't care if she's different. I don't care if she's a woman. I don't care if she's a Samaritan. I don't care if she's a sinner. I don't care. Everyone say, no, 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 don't talk to that person. Stick with people like you. And I'm telling you, there are people at your work, people in your neighborhood, you think you have no nothing in common with them. No nothing in common with them. The young, crazy college kids across the street. The weird, partying uh, co-worker guy who's cheating on his wife at work. The old people or the young people or the whatever it is. Don't be scared of different. Jesus could not have reached a more different lady than this Samaritan woman. Don't be afraid of different. We've been told since we were kids, evil company corrupts good habits. And I agree, evil company does corrupt good habits. But that doesn't mean that we live isolated in bubbles. We've been told that you just stay in your own little church bubble, stay in your own little clothes, and don't go outside, don't talk to the different people. Don't listen to that. That's not how Jesus lived, and it's not what Jesus called us to do when he sent us out to all the ends of the earth. Called us to live inside that world. Jesus didn't see that she was different gender, that she was different religion, that she had different political views. He didn't see any of that stuff. You know what he saw? A lost child. A child who's lost, who's broken. And when a parent, parents, you know this, when you see your child, other people see my child as the bad kid, the talks in class kid, the throws stuff at his brother kid. You know what I see? I see a kid who's just struggling. That's what I see. I see, leave my kid alone. He's had a rough day. He's had a rough, like, that's what I see. I think that's what God sees. He doesn't see all that different stuff. Don't be afraid of different. Jesus speaks with her. And he opens up a dialogue with her. And he says to her, or back up a little. Okay, it says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So society's norms, one fell, fell swoop, threw them all down the toilet. And the woman of Samaria, she knows the social norms. She said, excuse me, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I think when he said, give me a drink, she kind of looked around and being like, who are you talking to? Talking to me? What, are you crazy? You're a man, I'm a woman. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're good, I'm bad. Who are you talking to? So she says to him, What's, what, why, why, why are you talking to me? 
What do you think about her response? If you're in Jesus' shoes, how do you hear her response? You now, remember, you're doing the work of an evangelist. So you now, you're not just talking, you're listening. What do you hear when you see what she says? What do you hear? Is she open or not open? Is she open or not open? Who say she's open? Who say not open? Open is right. Why? Because what does she respond with? Question. So what does she do now? She's extended it. Now he hit the ball into her court, and if she didn't want him to do him, just walk away. Leave me alone, buddy. Get away. But what does she do? She hit it back. He said, hey, give me a drink. She said, why are you asking me? She's engaged. What I'm trying, like, we'll see this throughout. Jesus never forced himself on anyone. It is such a, I, I hate when people, when people think that evangelism is forcing yourself. Because some people think that, and that's wrong. And because we think that, we don't want to do it. But that's not. Jesus never forced himself on anyone. What he did is he lobbed it over. And she lobbed it back. So he's just going to lob it back. And they're going to keep on playing this. And eventually, he's going to smash it in her face. Okay? He's going to go for the, for the kill. But you see, he's just lobbing it back and forth. And when somebody asks you a question, okay, you ask, you, you see, you ask a question, and they ask a question. You ask a question, they ask a question. It shows that the process is, is going. So what does Jesus do? Okay, he lobs another one back. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gifts of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We misinterpret this verse. When Jesus said living water, there's two kinds of living water. Like there's two meanings to living water. Living water, we understand it, okay? It means like the spiritual, okay? But it had a physical meaning. Do you all know what living water meant? Like he wasn't saying it in just the spirit. Of course he was, okay? But it had a, a, a tangible meaning. Living water versus dead water. What's the difference? Living water is fresh water, okay? They would call like water from a river living water or fresh water or like a spring living water as opposed to a lake, which is like dead water, stagnant. So he says to her, what I'm trying to show you is he lobbed it back over. He didn't go for the kill yet. He lobbed it back over and say, hey, let me tell you about living water. He piques her interest. He draws her in slowly. He doesn't, again, go from the, from the first get-go and give her all the deepest stuff and tell her she's going to be condemned and all that kind of stuff. And eventually he tells her that you need to worship like this and then you need to get rid of your husband. But he doesn't say it at the beginning. He just talks about water. Why? Because it's a well. Like if they were in a garden, he'd talk about seeds. And if they were in, 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 a, in a basketball court, they'd talk about basketball. He'd spurt, like they'd talk about the game tonight, like whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Jesus just used stuff to initiate a discussion. It goes on, verse 11. And the woman said to him, see again how she's engaged. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? She's asking questions. What I want to show you here, I'm going to pause the story here, and I want to show you the second lesson learned, is don't be content with surface. Don't be content with surface. Me, I'd have said, hey, give me a drink. And she'd have said, how can you ask me this? And i say, God loves you. Glory be to God forever. Amen. <laughs> hey, I did my part. I did better than any of you. Y'all didn't do that. I reached out to a lost soul, and I preached to them the entire gospel. Told them God loves them. Don't be content 
lob back. Like, don't be in a rush. Lob back and keep the dialogue going slowly but surely. And that's the way Jesus was. He took the water. He said, let me tell you about a better water. And she said, okay, what is this kind of better water? He said, okay, let me tell you about even a better, a better water, a real living water. That's where he goes on, verse 13. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus took a risk here. Jesus took a risk. Because she may be averse to all things spiritual. She might have said, nah, you're preaching to me. He took a risk. And she could have. But he was never content with the service. He wasn't content just to say, hey, I did my best. Leave me alone. Or, hey, I reached out. No, he wasn't content. As long as she volley back, I'm going to volley back. And he's gradually drawing her deeper and deeper and deeper and speaking about more deep, significant subjects. Now, I want to show you guys the key here is the questions. The key is asking the right questions. Learn how to ask questions. I know a guy, okay, who, like, this is his way that he draws people in. Like, there's books been written, I've seen this, about, like, questions that you ask people. Questions like, um, cut my head right now. Like, do you believe that God is working today? Like, God is active in the world today. That's like a question that you can ask someone. You can see their opinion. Um, why do you think there are so many religions in this world? See how you can ask a question and you can draw stuff out of them? I know a guy, 9-11 is his thing, okay? He lives up there, 9-11 is his thing, where he can ask someone, where were you on 9-11? And you know what happens when you ask someone, where were you on 9-11? Like, because everyone on 9-11, everyone remembers where they were, how they were feeling. Where were you on 9-11? How'd you feel? Especially because he lives up in that, the, the tri-state area. It's up there especially. See how you ask a question and you're just trying to, you're not preaching, he's not... He's just asking questions. Learn how to ask questions. Someone says to you, you say, hey, how's it going? You say, I've had better days. Learn how to ask a question. Learn how to say, what would make it a better day? Or what's, what's, tell me about your best day. Learn how to ask questions. You know what I'm saying? I'm not pushing it. I'm just asking. Because when you ask, you let the other person control the gate. Okay? And if they don't want, then Jesus never forced himself on anybody. But he at least always asked the questions. This woman, he asked, she wanted more. Boom. This is when Jesus, this is when the door opens wide open. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. That was it. That was it. She said, I want to know what you're talking about. And then after she said this, we're not going to bring it up here. After she said this, what did Jesus say? Go call your husband. You shouldn't be living with him. And then you're not worshiping in the right way. Worship should be in spirit and truth. You see how he spoke the truth to her? But only after he had built the relationship, he spoke the truth, but after the relationship, after he had volleyed a couple times and he came in and said, smash, you want it, this water? Got to get rid of them husbands. Smash, you want this water? You got to worship in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter about this exterior stuff. What matters is the interior stuff. Had he started with that, you think he'd have found success? No way. But she's ready to jump in. We'll skip to that after. Now, she's ready to jump in and she says, I know that Messiah is coming who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Lesson, don't shy away from bold. Don't shy away from bold. Don't apologize for God. Be bold. She said, I know there's a Messiah coming. And Jesus went for the knockout punch. 
said, I'm heat. Didn't apologize. He didn't say like, he didn't beat around the bush. Jesus never beat around the bush. He was very straightforward in saying, look, you come to me, you have life. You don't come to me, you never find life. You believe my words, never taste death. I came to give you life and give it life more abundantly. He didn't water himself down. He went for the harvest. He went for, like I said, the knockout punch. And we need to be ready for that as well. He didn't do it at first. He didn't go for the harvest while the seed was still growing. He gave it time. He watered it. He fertilized it. He asked the questions. He was patient. He built the relationship. But then once it was ready, he didn't shy away from it. And that's where I fear is like some of us, like we shy away from it. Like we want somebody else to reap. We just want to sow. But I'm telling you, just like you can't always harvest, sometimes you got to sow. Sometimes you can't sow. Sometimes you were there for the harvest. And we should be ready to speak with confidence about the benefit of a life with Christ. About the before and the after. That this is who I was, this is who I am. I don't apologize for it. I want to tell the whole wide world. Like people ask me, like I'll tell you something, people ask me about like church. You know, about your church or this and that. I tell people unapologetically, I have the best church in the whole wide world. The best. And I say, I, if you, like, like there's nothing wrong if you go to church and you go to your own church, you believe it's the best, you should believe it's the best. Why you go to church It's not the best? If it's not the best, go to a better one. I believe my church is the best. I believe my family is the best. I believe, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I believe my God is the best God. I don't need to apologize for that. Why is that, why is that offensive to say my wife is the best? No, you're going to uh, offend all the other wives. What do I care about the other wives? I didn't marry the other wives. Okay, my wife is the best. If I don't think she's the best, then I, I mean, I think she's the best, so it's not even worth discussing. <laughs> I think my church is the best. I think my God is the best. And if I didn't, then something's wrong. And don't apologize for it. Don't say, well, all the churches are nice. Just go wherever it is that you want. Don't say, uh, uh, whatever God you worship, just pray. Whenever. No, we have the best God. Why do we apologize for it? Be bold. Don't shy away from it. Don't shove it in people's faces. But don't be afraid to give it to people when that door opens. Leave you all with this verse. John 4, 35. This is Jesus' message to us here today. Message to us. Not a verse we're reading. Message to us. Lift up your eyes. Look at the fields of Arlington. You didn't know there's fields in Arlington. There are fields in Arlington. Lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And I love how he put the exclamation mark at the end. Jesus is saying it with passion, saying, open your eyes, man. Look around your office. The fields are white for harvest. You say, what are you talking about? He says, see, that coworker is broken. If you go now and you engage them, I bet you they'd respond. Your neighbor, crazy neighbor, See how they're uh, partying, all those stuff? I bet you if you go and open a dialogue, I bet you they'd be open. Open your eyes. Look around. Live bold. Believe me, the bottleneck on people coming to God isn't people don't want to listen. The bottleneck is people don't want to be bold. Like the bottleneck isn't the people outside don't want to hear the bottleneck is the people inside that relationship with God, inside the church. We're the bottleneck because we are afraid of different. We shy away from bold. And we, more than anything else, we are content too much with just the surface. We got to go for it and reap because the harvest is ready for us. Here's my prayer for me and my prayer for you this week. And I want you to pray this as well. We're going to pray it together right now in a minute. We're going to pray God would open our eyes as we look out over our world, your work, your neighborhood, your college, whatever world you live in. 
God, open my eyes to see the fields that are ready for harvest. Open my eyes to see where there is fruit that is ready to be harvested. And then when we see that, we're going to go for it. We're not going to shy away. We're going to go for it. We're going to develop them. We're going to do the three Ds like we said. We're going to build that relationship. But then once it comes time, we're going to be ready to go for the harvest. We're going to share our story, and we are going to see what God does. And I guarantee you, you won't believe the great things God will do. Let's stand for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we pray as we all stand together with like one heart, we're praying that you would open our eyes to see the world around us with the eyes that you had. To not see people just with their rough exteriors, but to see people as your children who are lost, who are broken, who are hurt, who are rejected, who are lost, who have no hope. Lord, give us to see the people in our lives that you are preparing for a great harvest and give us the, like, the, the boldness that we need that we can really be an apostolic church, live the life of the apostles, live a life of boldness, that we don't shy away from your message, that we're not embarrassed of you, that we're not scared that people won't like us or anything like that, but that we go in full confidence that we know that you're with us and that if we're obeying your command, you will always give us prosperity and you will always give us like joy in our lives. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the people around us in this community and in the communities wherever we may live that are in need of you, in need of, of the good news uh, that you came to give. We pray, Lord, that you would use us in whatever way that you want, Lord, as a church, as individual members, Lord, of one body. Use us, Lord, to spread your gospel and spread your kingdom by whatever means that you see fit. We ask this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But deliver us from the evil one, through Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a quick reminder that anyone who is here for the Next Steps luncheon today, we invite anyone who is not a member of the church or just kind of checking us out. We have a Next Steps luncheon. It's going to be over here in room 122 or 121. Okay, over here.